Welcome again to the Empowering Neurologist. I'm Dr. David Perlmutter. You know, fasting, time-restricted eating, caloric restriction, these are hot topics today and with very good reason because there are health benefits associated with these practices that have been looked at for decades. But, you know, the problem is how do you implement? What's it all about? And our guest today is Dr. Will Cole. Here's the new book, Intuitive Fasting. Really walks us through how to make this happen, how to make it uh, user-friendly, and also explains why this is so important. It's uh, an interview I've been looking forward to. Let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Will Cole. Uh, Dr. Cole has been on our program multiple times, written other books uh, that we've been featuring as of late, dealing with things like uh, being a vegetarian but on a ketogenic diet, uh, looking at uh, how we can enhance our immune function or at least balance immune function. Now with intuitive fasting, how we can bring this notion of fasting, whether time-restricted eating or fasting per se, how can we make that available to uh, people such that uh, they can gain the benefits? Let me tell you a little more about him. Uh, he wrote the books that we've interviewed him about before called Ketotarian, and most recently he was on the program talking about the inflammation spectrum. Uh, the new book uh, shows us how we can benefit from a what he calls a flexible intermittent fasting program to gain metabolic flexibility and to finally find, as he describes it, food peace, meaning, uh, you know, getting a place of satisfaction and being less uh, so less hypervigilant about the, the foods we eat and paying more attention to not so much what we eat, but when we eat and how we eat. Uh, we uh, have seen Dr. Uh, Cole on multiple uh, media uh, experiences uh, in uh, throughout the country. He's the pop, a host of the popular podcast, Goop Fellas, and also Keto Talk. And the new uh, podcast that he's uh, on is The Art of Being Well. So let's just jump right in and talk to uh, Dr. Will Cole. Well, hello, Dr. Cole. Welcome back to the program. Hello, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited that we're talking. You're getting to be a regular. That's a good thing. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm honored and I love talking to you always. So let's just jump in with both feet. What's all the excitement about fasting in general? Why, why are people just all over this right now? Uh, I think people are looking for effective, easy, approachable, accessible ways to enhance their health. And specifically, I think fasting resonates with people because two, di two different reasons that come to mind. I think it's free. So I think that's appealing for people to Anybody can do it. You don't need equipment. You don't need supplements. You don't need a special diet necessarily to do it. And I think there's something innate. I think there's something uh, primal when it comes to fasting that resonates with many people. Well, let's um, talk about the notion of intuitive fasting, that this is, I, I think, part of the, of the hardware loaded in that... Um, uh, you know, it, by virtue of the title, it, it's part of our intuition. Where, mm -hmm. where do we get that from? I mean, what is, uh, how, do you how do you choose that as a title and what's that mm -hmm. theme all about? Yeah, so I, when I put the title, there's a few reasons. One, Ron, as, as a writer and as an educator, of, a lot of my job, as you know, is it's educating patients and empowering them. 
And it was a, a, the prefix INT, that, that play on words of intermittent and intuitive. I thought, okay, visually, um, it looks good, but it, the, it really was the conversation that I was more interested in, this seemingly paradoxical concept of how could fasting ever be intuitive? And then this whole conversation about intuitive eating, I think I really wanted to have a, a deeper conversation on what that means, like coming from a functional medicine perspective, I think some of the times there are a certain sect of people that they can eat intuitively, meaning they can more or less eat what they want. Uh, they don't have any major health problems or blood sugar stable. They have uh, no sort of uh, hangriness when it comes to cravings, et cetera. They're by no means the majority of the human race. And as a functional medicine practitioner, my day job is talking to people, with different hormonal problems, blood sugar issues, inflammatory problems. It's, their cravings will drown out any intuition that's there. So I want people to have their this sort of deep discernment or a grace and an intuition when it comes to eating. But we have to show up for ourselves to actually have metabolic flexibility, which you and I t- talk have talked about for years. Metabolic flexibility is fertile foundation for authentic intuitive eating, meaning we're just going to have a proper hormonal signaling. We're going to have proper gut-brain axis communication, proper satiety signaling to truly know what our body loves and hates. So it's this conversation. The book is really a conversation and a roadmap to get to authentic intuitive eating and intuitive fasting because fasting won't be this arduous, punitive, dogmatic, where I have to grit my teeth to fast. It'll just be because we are fat adapted, because we have metabolic flexibility, we can go longer without eating, not because we're willing it, just because we are more metabolically flexible. So that's really the deeper conversation that I'm having about this concept. So um, I think you you made a comment that we're getting back in touch with our instinctive kind of Mm -hmm. pattern of eating. And what does that mean, instinctive versus uh, choosing to be on a specific type of diet? I want people to have proper signaling when it comes to their hormones, uh, as far as their ability to know what their body loves and what their body hates. And that happens on a physiological level when somebody becomes more fat adapted, more metabolically flexible, that's going to help with their instinctive knowing of I eat when I'm hungry, I can go longer without eating, I know my body needs a break from eating for a time. And just an awareness of how you, your body operates and how to check in with yourself to, to do things that make your health bit better. Um, but there's also a mental, emotional, spiritual, I think, side of things too, is that through times of fasting, uh, specifically time-restricted feeding, um, I want people to use that as a mindfulness to, tool as well. Use food and use fasting as a mindfulness tool because so many people are divorced from even awareness when it comes to food or anything. They're just eating because that's what they do. And they are not really conscious fully of why they're eating or what what they're eating. And I want to bring all of that awareness up to use fasting and food as a mindfulness tool. So you're bringing, I, I think, a conscious awareness to the uh, to our eating and you know that that's a little different from instinctive. I mean, instinctively, we would want to eat as much sugar as we possibly could, right? I mean, that's we are, uh, you know, we have this instinctive desire for sweet, which mm-hmm. allows us to make fat, which is a survival mechanism. So, in a sense, we're kind of getting away from our instincts and overriding that with what you just said, uh, this conscious awareness of what we mm-hmm. should be doing. So, 
um, how do we then develop the intuition? How do we develop this uh, program, if you will, that lets us know that we're on the right track? I think there's two different tools. I think the, the flexible time-restricted feeding windows paired with a clean ketotarian diet, which is, you know, as you know, my made up word for a, a clean ketogenic diet, that's pescatarian keto, vegetarian keto with vegan keto options too. Both of those are tools to support beta hydroxybutyrate, um, both intermittent fasting, time-restricted feeding, and uh, in the ketogenic diet done with ketotarian, they both support beta hydroxybutyrate, which is a fuel for the body is fuel for the brain it is a also an epigenetic modulator it lowers inflammation levels it really repairs a lot of things that are not operating optimally in people so i paired both both pairing time restricted feeding with ketotarian diet are two different tools that i explore throughout intuitive fasting for people to gain that metabolic flexibility because as they stabilize their blood sugar as they lower inflammation levels they'll have proper awareness to what fuels their body and they'll have proper awareness of of what their body truly needs their their intuition and they'll they'll be in a better position to make good decisions they'll be more tapped into their prefrontal cortex and away from this more instinctual mm. uh, you know get the survival of the fattest kind of mentality just for our viewers the, the thesis of ketotarian which i think was really very important was you know there was this notion that to get into ketosis, uh, you either had to be super aggressive about calorie restriction and fasting, et cetera, or you had to be eating you know all kinds of meat and fat day in and day out in order to get into ketosis. And you really challenged that really effectively, indicating that you know you could be vegetarian and get into ketosis and, and reap the benefits of both. So it, it it really set straight the notion that. You know this idea that going on a key, uh, ketogenic diet is, uh, you know, eating bacon all day and, and eating fat. You have these five uh, benefits of intuitive fasting. Can we go through those one by one? Sure. So that that chapter. Let's go through the list. What is ketosis? This fourth macronutrient. So researchers uh, refer to beta hydroxybutyrate as the fourth macronutrient. So we have proteins, fats, carbs, and ketones. So it is one of the tools of fasting is tapping into this fourth macronutrient to not only fuel your body, which a lot of the energy boosting benefits of fasting and the ketogenic diet has to do with the fact that beta hydroxybutyrate is a fuel for the body. It improves, as you know, that BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, actually encouraging new neurons. It improves mitochondrial biogenesis, uh, making stronger, more resilient mitochondria, which is needed for cellular energy, and lowers the inflammation markers that I mentioned, or it downregulates the inflammatory cascades like NF-kappa B and the NLRP3 inflammasome. So it's just really amazing signaling molecule, epigenetic modulator. So ketosis is one of them. But part of the the second part of it is in that chapter I talk about hormesis which is one of the other components that makes fasting so effective. This concept of hormesis actually has its origins with the king named Mithridates. In the, <laughs> have you heard of this story before? Uh, he was, you, you talk about your book, but I have heard yeah. about it, how he was yeah. so fearful of being poisoned. So he <laughs> worked his way up on the poison scale so that he was virtually, uh, I hate to say immune, but yeah. developed yeah, I mean, tolerance. By exactly. His, his murderous mom. mother. <laughs> and if you know anything about royals, which I, I kind of am interested in history, I love, I'm a history nerd when it comes to this stuff. 
as a royal, you there are a lot of people murdering royals and a lot of family members murdering. It's quite horrible. I wouldn't want to be in their position. But anyways, this guy thought that his mom was going to kill him. Whether it's true or not, that's what, kind of the origins of it. And it's now studies have come out over the, the hundreds, thousands, the, the thousands of years since then of how uh, a, the dose makes the, the poison, basically, where you can... Uh, do small or uh, measured acts of stress on the body to make your body more resilient. So forms of hormesis on the body, like fasting, like the ketogenic diet, like cold therapy, ice therapy, or sauna, or high-intensity interval training, or other types of exercise, it's stress for a period of time to make the body more resilient. So the, the stem cell supporting activation pathways of fasting, the, the cellular resilience pathways, all has to do with the fact that fasting is the type of hormesis. And then the third co uh, component is autophagy. There should have the cellular recycling, uh, cellular renewal pathways. Uh, and then the fifth is the fact that it's, it's oh, all of these things, all of these things are lowering inflammation levels. And as you know this, but for people that don't know, I mean, inflammation is a commonality between just about every health problem under the sun. So autophagy, hormesis, ketosis, all help to lower inflammation levels. So what does it mean, uh, uh, time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting? How, what is the difference in those terms? Well, I think it's two sides of the same coin. Uh, that I, and I, I think you, I've heard you talk about this too, that it is true. When you look at the, on PubMed, you look at the amount of studies that are out there. There are many, when they're referring to intermittent fasting, they're talking about a lot of different types of fasting. Time-restricted feeding is lumped into that larger fasting conversation because it's, from my perspective, it's like two sides of the same coin. Are we intermittently fasting or we're doing time-restricted feeding? Um, and then there's different other forms of fasting as well. So time-restricted feeding is a specific break of eating uh, or fasting, and we're eating within specific windows. So it's a subset, if you will, of intermittent fasting. Um, you mentioned autophagy, this recycling of damaged proteins, damaged organelles within this, in the cell. What uh, what amount of intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating is necessary in humans to actually fulfill that claim, to indicate that autophagy is going to be initiated by what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. it, I think it depends on the baseline of what is what we know that for someone to be keto-adapted or fat-adapted, their ability to produce ketones is going to vary depending on their baseline, where they're starting out, how much blood sugar dysregulation, how much inflammation, how much metabolic inflexibility or metabolic rigidity is going on. So it could happen really quickly, uh, a couple of days for some people to really get metabolically flexible. It could take weeks for some people to troubleshoot and really work their way into this state of, of ketosis and start to upregulate and support these autophagy pathways or these more of these longevity pathways that researchers are exploring. But I would err on the side of, and that's something that I really explore in week three of the protocol, are these longer time-restricted feeding windows where it's an almost OMAD approach. OMAD is an acronym that stands for one meal a day. So I would say a uh, 20 to 22 uh, our fast and beyond is really what we are looking at as far as supporting these deeper autophagy pathways. But with that said, ketogenic diet and someone that does no time-restricted feeding, they're just in ketosis through the ketogenic diet, 
there is enough, it's logical to me to say that they are going to be supporting healthy autophagy pathways just through their food, just through eating and supporting long-term ketosis. Well, I, I would, so you said it's logical to, for you to assume yeah. that, and I, I think it's logical to assume it as well. But, you know, there really isn't any human research that indicates specifically how long it takes to get to a, a, a place of autophagy when one is fasting. You know, it may be three or four days. We don't exactly know. But I, I would agree with you that it's logical to assume that once you're in ketosis, that likely you're stimulating that pathway. The point is, we don't really have a biomarker for autophagy that's readily available. So we don't actually know. Um, you, you talk about uh, intermittent intermittent fasting along with a higher fat diet. And I think, again, that is to support the, the ability to get into ketosis. And as it relates to the brain, why, why do we want to do that? Yeah. So I, I wanted to pair, because they both support beta-hydroxybutyrate, I wanted people to get some of the benefits of fasting without actually fasting with them, mimicking a lot of the same benefits of fasting while they're eating ketotarian. But it's also, as you mentioned, very satiating and stabilizing. So it's going to make their time-restricted feeding a lot easier because they're more satiated when they are eating. So it's going to be more effortless as they go into their, their fasting windows. Uh, but both because both support beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, that is really good for the brain in many ways. As I mentioned, it supports BDNF mitochondrial biogenesis, it lowers neuroinflammation, and our brain is uh, predominantly fat. So working not just from a macronutrient standpoint, but the fact that it does support ketosis, those are two really important uh, reasons uh, from a brain uh, supporting side, side of things. You know, so much uh, in, in modern weight loss science, if you will, which is certainly a, a a very important consideration uh, in, in modern times um, is the notion that we are fat because we consume too many calories in versus the calories that we burn. Mm -hmm. And you, you bring up a really important point it, about eating. It's not necessarily calories in versus calories out, but when we eat as opposed to necessarily, obviously what we eat is important, true. But yeah. it, you know, you're talking about the notion of when we eat as being such an important and overlooked factor that yeah. is so relevant in terms of weight balance, for example, and inflammation and free radical mediated stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, the, the opposite of what people think. People think when they hear fasting on the, on face value, they're, they're um, conflating that with chronic caloric restriction, and that's not the same thing. There are studies that show that people, especially with the deeper fasting windows, tend in studies tend to eat slightly less. There's a slight caloric deficit, which does have its own merit on its own. But if you control for calories and you look at people that eat over a longer period of time versus a, a tighter window, same amount of calories, we can leverage the benefits of those time-restricted feeding windows. So it is, and we're not talking about anything extreme necessarily. In week one, there's uh, ample amount of evidence to show just as something as simple as a 12-12 paired with a clean diet like ketotarian or any whole foods-based diet is really beneficial. It's just going back to that adage of don't eat too late. Allow a couple of hours before bedtime to allow your body to repair through the night. I mean, your brain needs that amply as you well, no, but for people that, that are hearing this for the first time, 
your body is able to repair through the night. And if you're snacking really late at night, especially if you're snacking on foods that are very disruptive and inflammatory to the body, you're not giving your brain and your body the time to repair throughout the night. So mm. a 12-12 time-restricted feeding window, which is the lightest way that we explore in the book in week one, it's just priming and prepping people because you're eating a ketogenic diet with a 12-12. It's a nice segue into these deeper time-restricted feedings over the subsequent weeks. You emphasize quite a bit about the importance of getting into ketosis and how um, health supportive are the various ketone bodies, focusing quite a bit on beta-hydroxybutyrate. And it, it, it begs the question I know many of our viewers would like to hear an answer to, and that is, what is the role of some of these exogenous either uh, ketone precursors or the, pre or the actual ketones themselves? What role do some of these now widely available commercial products have in amping up our ketosis and amping up all these you know, really powerful pathways that you're talking about? Hmm. So I don't use them personally. Um, I get asked that question a lot from patients and people um, asking me what my, my thoughts are. I'm not against them. I think if someone wants to get a good quality source of it, there's so many things out there. Read the labels, make sure there's no, th no, no added ingredients that you don't want to be having. But on face value, a good quality exogenous ketone has its place from a improvement of brain function because of the neuro uh, protective or the, the uh, brain boosting components uh, that beta hydroxybutyrate has, it would make sense to me that if somebody is maybe has a long day at work or they want to perform optimally from a cognitive standpoint, having something like exogenous ketones is is some a tool that they could use. Um, my perspective overall from a long-term consistent, do I need to use it every day sort of thing? I would much prefer the person's body to produce it on their own. So have these endogenous naturally produced ketones because you can raise blood ketone levels with exogenous ketones. And some companies will even say, you don't have to change your diet at all. Just take these exogenous ketones and it's going to help you. In theory, that's true. But the name of the game isn't just raising blood ketone levels. The name of the game is having healthy ketosis levels in the presence of normal blood sugar and lower inflammation levels. That is the true environment where we are creating here with doing it and having your body produce it on its own. By just eating whatever you want and taking exogenous ketones really from a long-term health perspective is, isn't the point. Mm. Um, you know, much of what is written about intermittent fasting and uh, time-restricted eating has to do with uh, letting us regain insulin sensitivity, how very, very important it is. And, and I have to admit that in, you know, in the discussion of longevity and uh, in, for example, supplements or andor medic uh, pharmaceuticals that might be looked upon as aids to longevity, uh, which by and large have failed, except for perhaps the rapamycin pathway, everything seems to ultimately funnel through the, the, the notion of glucose, insulin, axis, and control. But beyond reestablishing insulin sensitivity, which clearly what you're, uh, you know, this idea of intermittent fasting, time restricted eating can do. You talk about leptin. So can we just op uh, unpack leptin a little bit and why restoring leptin sensitivity is something we really want to try to achieve? Yeah. It's something that I see on an hourly basis when I'm running labs and looking at people's cases. You see functionally elevated or lab elevated, pathologically elevated leptin levels. So leptin is a hormone that our fat cells produce. They are 
part of our endocrine system. And they're supposed to tell, in theory, the hypothalamic cells of the brain, the hypothalamus, to burn fat for fuel. But a lot of people have various degrees of leptin resistance. So you will see this on a lab by running and measuring serum leptin, blood leptin levels, and you will see high leptin, which is indicative of the endocrine, the fat cells actually having to secrete more to basically scream at the brain to burn us, burn burn us for fuel. Um, but the body is leptin resistant. So it's a hormonal resistance pattern that makes it very difficult for people to lose weight. You could look at food and gain weight or the people describe it like I could do everything. I could live at the gym. I eat so good and I can't lose weight. Well, invariably, many times you'll find higher leptin levels as being at least a major driver, not necessarily the only driver, but a part of that metabolic derangement or that metabolic inflexibility that we're trying to support and improve and overcome that. It's oftentimes associated with insulin resistance. So you'll oftentimes see those things hand in hand, high insulin, A1C, triglycerides are off and high leptin, leptin. But I would say this, that I don't always see that. Sometimes I, well, the blood sugar looks fine. Triglycerides look fine. A1C looks fine. And all the other markers in the metabolic blood sugar section look fine, but leptin is really high. There's other reasons of why leptin can be high too. But getting healthy leptin levels, proper hormonal signaling is one uh, important part to overcoming weight loss resistance and becoming more metabolically flexible. So a leptin like insulin uh, tell us to push ourselves away from the table basically. And then what you're describing here is that we become resistant to that signal over time and we don't know when it's time to quit eating. We've all been there of course. And uh, how interesting it is that uh, fructose uh, really is a powerful player as it relates to leptin uh, yeah. resistance as well. Um, yeah. you, you had a bit of a discussion in, in the book, which I thought was really very timely, about NAD mm. and uh, you know, how this type of uh, eating uh, schedule can help with NAD levels. And you even talked about uh, NAD precursors. Maybe you could walk through NAD a little bit because I know that's a, a hot topic right now. I mean, yeah. people are real interested in NAD precursors. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the pathways that researchers are exploring these longevity or cellular vitality or cellular resilience uh, is the impact that fasting, time-restricted feeding, different fasting protocols has on supporting NAD levels, which is needed for cellular repair, cellular energy levels. And as we age, that depletes. So there are, most people know about NID through taking like a, a spe special form of a B vitamin called nicotinamide riboside, which supports NID levels. Um, and that's why people are taking those. Um, but fasting is another way to support NAD. So I, I think it's promising. And there's a lot of this emerging research that's coming out there. It's a promising tool to leverage the benefits. Uh, and it, it could explain in part these uh, longevity benefits and uh, anti-disease, anti-accelerated aging benefits that fasting has. Mm. I, I would say that probably the latest, as it relates to longevity, unfortunately, the latest uh, reports in rodents did not indicate extension of longevity. But I think there's, there's a lot more to the story in terms of muscle activity, mm -hmm. uh, energetics, uh, et cetera, related to NAD, not, and not the least of which the avail the ability of sirtuins to do what they do is NAD dependent. Uh, and these days, I would say that there's uh, plenty of discussion in terms of immune uh, functionality as even it relates to COVID 
uh, on the basis of NAD depletion or NAD availability that with lower NAD levels that we see in some of the risk factors for bad COVID outcome, for example, obesity, hypertension, diabetes type 2, uh, that seems to correlate with NAD levels. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, my vote is to err on the side of, of doing this uh, with either nicotinamide riboside, which has been shown to increase white blood cell levels in humans, versus nicotinamide mononucleotide, which is, you know, at least the, the one that David Sinclair is taking for reasons mm-hmm. that uh, have not been totally made clear by him, but he's a, a smart enough guy that I, I yeah. intend to listen to him, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, uh, who should not participate in intuitive fasting, if anyone? Yeah, I, the way that I advocate it in the book, it's a nuanced conversation. And there's, born out of my clinical experience, there's adjustments and modifications for everybody throughout the book. So it's not a one-size-fits-all approach. There's a lot of adjustments that I'm making because I've heard just about every, well, what if you're this or what if you're that in my clinical practice? So i I I'm walking the reader through the book to say, if you're this, then adjust this. And that's going to help people to fine tune it. So the measured, flexible nature of the book, it really is very accessible to just about everybody. The one caveat that I make in the book are people that have a past eating disorder or a current eating disorder. And that's not to say they can't do it either. I just would recommend they work with their doctor an eating disorder specialist because uh, I just think that's an appropriate way route to go down it. But I, I down, I would say this though, that I, I have seen countless of people over the years clinically, but also just hearing in the community um, people that have struggled with eating disorders in the past. And when they do eat this way, they stabilize their blood sugar, they're lowering inflammation levels, they're supporting the gut brain axis, all these things that you really want, they actually feel more in control and healthier relationship with food than they've ever felt. They don't feel out of control anymore because they feel better. So even though like on the surface, you'd be like, okay, that's fasting. How you shouldn't do that if you're an eating disorder. Well, yes, check with your doctor, check with your eating disorder specialist, but you're not ruled out from, you know, this isn't for you anyways. And diabetics? <laughs> That's another question they get. Should diabetics fast? Absolutely. They should check their blood sugar levels. They should talk to their doctor. Um, and if they're injecting with a, a Humalog or 11 or Lantus, some injectable insulin, make sure you're testing for sure um, because you're going to have to adjust the amount of insul- insulin you're injecting. But if you're testing appropriately, no, this is the actually the point of it. You're going to be gaining insulin sensitivities. This is actually a good thing for your health. You just don't want to be over injecting insulin as your body's adjusting and getting healthier. So I think that the point is obviously, and you said it, that they need to be doing this with the guidance of their healthcare practitioner. I would uh, ask our uh, viewers to perhaps watch the interview I did with Dr. Sarah Hallberg uh, uh, from Virtus Health on the actual um, reversal of type 2 diabetes by engaging people over a one-year period of time in a ketogenic diet. Uh, and even, you know, we've done a podcast on treating type 1 diabetes uh, with a ketogenic diet and allowing people to reduce their insulin dosages mm-hmm. quite dramatically. Yeah. And I would certainly say again that uh, this is something that needs to be carried out under the direction, not just of your healthcare provider, but somebody who's really, you know, up to speed in terms of these dietary interventions, because, you know, with all due respect, uh, that's not necessarily something you're going to find in an MD, for example. Um, 
I know in medical school, we received zero hours of education as it relates to nutrition, <laughs> which is uh, unfortunate, but uh, that, that's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, you do mention, though, um, in the book about the idea that there's actually an advantage that is conferred in people who are involved in intermittent fasting, then when they're eating, that they're on a high-fat diet. And you know, for so many people, the notion of a high-fat diet being good for them uh, is challenging, having been mm-hmm. exposed to what you know, the mainstream has been telling them for uh, decades in terms of dietary fat. So maybe you can just help them understand a little bit as to why that might be a good choice. Mm, yeah, so it's it's definitely in, an important part, and I and I mentioned in the book that that many of the studies done on fasting and time restricted feeding is that you don't have to change your diet much at all. That had to have been done on a clinical side of things, on, on a, a sorry a, a, from a scientific research side of things to see does the fast hold its own weight. Uh, is the benefit coming from the fast or is it coming from the caloric deficit or is it coming from the weight change of, of diets? And what we know is that there are you don't have to change much of what you eat by just adjusting your windows and giving your body more of a break from eating to have some of these insulin sensitizing be- health benefits that, that I've talked about earlier. But with that said, I am not advocating for people to try to fast their way out of a poor diet. I think that we have to use food first. And from there, you can amplify the benefits of food as medicine and fasting as medicine by just adjusting the eating windows and doing these these flexible time-restricted feeding windows. So it makes your fast easier. It supports specifically because we're doing a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate diet or ketogenic diet with as, as it relates to ketotarian cyclically. We're not always in ketosis. We're doing clean carb cycling as well, but that makes your fast a lot easier and it's mimicking fasting. You're both, you're supporting beta hydroxybutyrate, this ketone body, even when you're eating food. And I would say this, because these time restricted feeding windows are not, we're not talking about extended long fasts. I, you're going to be supported. You're going to want to be focusing on these healthy fats and lower, a lower carb approach to get into ketosis faster because you're not going to necessarily, if someone's the average American not changing their diet, just doing time-restricted feeding, you're going to maybe see some benefits, but it's not going to be nearly what you can get by pairing it with this clean ketogenic way of eating. You know, what you did uh, in your book, which is really very great, very helpful, is, uh, you know, people who want to engage this type of therapy for themselves uh, are a bit hung up on, you know, ratios of fat, carbohydrates, and protein. And you make, you really make, make it understandable and easy that they don't really need to sweat it that much. I mean, obviously, yeah. you don't want to be uh, on a time-restricted eating program and then, you know, crash and burn at 6 p.m., because now you know you're able to eat and you're going to be eating the wrong foods, but you know within reason you make it very uh, workable and user friendly. Uh, the last topic I'd like to just touch upon is the notion of keto flu and the role that perhaps supplements might play in in that. Maybe you can talk us uh, t- tell us what yeah. that means, and then you know we'll talk supplements how they play into that, but also any other thoughts on supplements in terms of integrating supplements into this type of eating program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So keto flu happens with when you go into 
any type of ketosis, it doesn't always happen. Not everybody's going to experience this, but either the ketogenic diet types of intermittent fasting, if you're doing both, obviously, uh, that could happen for some people, it's not going to last forever. And it, there's many different possible reasons why, but your metabolism is going through some major changes. There's a lot of systemic cascade of things that are changing in your body, but that is taking somebody that's metabolically inflexible to various degrees and getting their metabolic flexibility. So it's almost akin to, you know, if I, I've never, never done yoga before and I go to yoga class and I do an advanced yoga class, I'm going to feel, and I actually felt this before when it was, was me at one point, this is horribly unnatural. I can't, how does anyone do yoga? My body feels like it should never bend this way. I was doing the wrong class and I was doing too much too soon. So the way that I'm doing doesn't mean yoga is not for me or working out is not for me. It just means that we need to lean into this appropriately and uh, get the benefits of this. So I almost see this as like a proverbial yoga class for your metabolism. We're starting off with that 12-12 and you're eating ample amounts of food. Even then, you could feel a little bit sore, so to speak, from that workout because you have never done it before. But that doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's not good for you. You just need your metabolism to adjust and your mitochondria to start producing that learn to, to burn fat for fuel. Your gut microbiome is going through some major changes then too. So there could, in theory, if someone has dysbiosis or bacterial overgrowth or some die-off symptoms or Herxheimer responses, uh, and your kindling is off the fire. If you were depending a lot on sugar and carbs for fuel, and then you don't have that anymore. I think you and I have joked about this term in the past, but this metabolic purgatory where the kindling's off a of fire, all the sugar and garbage is off, and you're not fully fat adapted yet, that can make you not feel so good either. So I'm making sure you're eating ample amounts of foods during that time. And there's ways to mitigate this as well. So like I'm fasting right now. I'm doing an OMAD today, but I have this electrolyte solution. It's just water with, you can make it yourself just with some Himalayan sea salt and I put recipe in the book, but I, you can, there's also many supplements. I used a packet that someone sent me. Uh, so it's just a blend of electrolytes, which are sodium, magne magnesium, potassium, chloride uh, in a solution that you are replenishing, that you can lose some when you're losing that water weight, you're losing that inflammation while you're fasting. And an electrolyte supplement can really help uh, as your body's adjusting and making sure your electrolytes are balanced, because if that is one potential reason why somebody could be having the keto flu, making sure you're hydrated uh, and then making sure you are eating enough food when you are eating. So don't be hypocaloric. Don't make sure that you're well satiated and you can get your electrolytes from the foods you're having having as well. So those are some things to think about um, if they do have keto flu, which the symptoms can be the achiness or more fatigue or uh, just not feeling as good because your body is is not used to this yet and you need to start to to get that log on the fire get that fat for fuel which takes some time yeah and and i would welcome it i mean i would say that uh, if in fact you're challenged by it it means that you've got work to do i i've been there myself plenty of times and yeah. it means that you know you're you're shifting over but your body's a little sluggish in adapting, keto adapting, like you say. And I think your, your comment about electrolytes is actually very good. In my opinion, uh, opinion experience with others too, the biggest issue that people get into are deficiencies of electrolytes. As you develop these ketone bodies, they act as osmotic diuretics, meaning that you pee a lot and you're peeing out a lot of your electrolytes, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. 
So I use a product called Element. I don't mind saying so. That's what I'm using, actually. Pardon me? That's that's what I'm using today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. L-M-N-T. L-M-N-T. I love Uh, it. A great product. And uh, a lot of people find that just simply giving themselves back their electrolytes, their transition uh, is is a lot easier. The other thing I find uh, helpful in this discussion is continuous glucose monitoring. In other words, looking at your blood sugar and how it responds during the times that you're fasting, when you reintroduce foods, uh, how does your blood sugar respond to, you know, uh, in the time-restricted eating protocols, the various ones that you might try on and see what works best for you. So I use a, a CGM as well, and I use what's called Levels Health uh, to to really to look at that data and really give me um, good feedback. So you know, I think there's a lot of hacks that perhaps. Uh, our ancestors who either fasted because they thought it was good for them or fasted because they didn't have food, uh, obviously didn't have access to. So these are things that we can take full advantage of these days, repleting our minerals, using products that allow that to happen, looking at our blood sugars, either with continuous glucose monitoring or, if you will, finger stick that's available to everyone. Mm -hmm. So it does make it it easier. But I I think, again, you know, compliment your book, uh, it's, it's all there for people and, you know, it's well beyond a great starting place. I think you walk through, you know, how it's going to, uh, play out for people and what to expect. And, uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful that more and more people are going to embrace this because it's really very powerful stuff. Why? Because it targets this fundamental, um, um, you know, final common pathway for all of our major chronic degenerative conditions. And that is inflammation brought upon us by issues like insulin resistance and elevated blood sugar. We don't have to have that. Uh, We have simple tools like intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating to check that at the door and really realize better health. Well said. Yeah, it is something that I want people to lean into and they don't don't realize that with just a few few adjustments, it can wield a lot of influence over, over our biochemistry. So I'm excited for people to explore it for themselves. Great. Well, Will, always good to see you, and uh, got your you're cranking out the book. So uh, I'm I have to keep up with you, Doctor Perlmutter. Pardon me. Who knows what <laughs> the next book is about? That's for sure. Anyway, to great to see you, and, Thank and you all so the much. best. You too. Okay. Bye for now. Great interview. Great information, and uh, pay attention to this stuff because it's really an important way to regain connection with all the great stuff that. Our, our diets want to do for us, not just the foods we eat, but when and how we eat. Really good information. Again, the book, Intuitive Fasting, Dr. Will Cole. Thank you all for joining me today. I'll be back soon. Bye for now.